This is Outspoken, the podcast that's not afraid to say exactly what you're thinking. Our names are Amy, Kate and Sophie Torber. We're identical triplets, but we often don't have identical opinions. So sometimes things can get heated. Outspoken covers all things reality TV, influencers, entertainment and issues facing women. That is so fetch. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Outspoken. Now, I feel like I've spent the whole weekend trying to find the best Halloween costume because, Amy, you are hosting a Halloween party in a couple of weeks' time, and I feel like the competition is big. I feel like the timing is pretty dicey, too, because everyone knows at the moment that shipping isn't always correct. There's been so many delays on postage, so I don't know Mm. whether to risk it and actually order something or do with what I have. Yeah, well, what do you have, like a DIY uh, creating a costume is always a hard one because let's be honest, usually they look like shit. Well, I was thinking of coming as Princess Diana. You came up with that idea, Amy, and Brandon could come as Prince Charles. And it was so cute because mum was taking me through her wardrobe trying to find something of that vintage. But yeah, we're still on the hunt because I don't know how to do my hair as well. Well, you guys have big competition because I basically organised this. It's more of a Halloween dinner. I organised it because I wanted to dress up as someone from Money Heist because I'm (laughs) so obsessed with Money Heist. And so I've got uh, Dale the costume as a professor and I'm coming as Lisbon or Raquel. See, I thought you were going to come as Tokyo, but is it because the week's too difficult? It is. It is. So I'm currently on this on the hunt for a little nose ring, like a little fake nose ring to be Raquel, because I feel like it's all in the details for these kind of costumes. See, I'm jealous because I love Money Heist and I would have loved to come as Tokyo or Nairobi with the bullet through the head, but I feel like I can't come as it now. You should have just had a Money Heist costume party instead of like doing it under the guise of Halloween. Well, you guys just come as Money Heist Yeah, but there's not time to order the outfits. Why don't we have a Money Heist themed birthday party (gasps) in March? We might be over it by then. (laughs) No, we won't. Money money Heist themed engagement party. (laughs) Oh, now that would be good. Have you guys seen how amazing Molly May and Tommy Fury Halloween decorations look well they actually had a professional come in and do it and I love that they were calling it their Halloween grotto I feel like the word grotto (laughs) is a very English term and it's making me excited to see what they do for Christmas Mm. because I'm not really that into Halloween I don't know I feel like I almost want Halloween to be over so then the Christmas festivities can start Well, the company that did their Halloween decorations was called The Christmas Company and apparently Molly is getting them in to do their Christmas decorations because she said they are renowned for doing celebrities' Christmas decorations. And I just feel like I would love to be so rich that I could get a company in to do my Christmas decorations. That, That would be the ultimate dream. I feel like we've got to talk about what some of the decorations are. So they've got this amazing fireplace in their living room and it was covered with this garland of scary things. So it had little pumpkins. (laughs) That sounds cute. Skeletons, coffins. And then they also, I I love this touch because obviously it's all in the detail. They had this glass bowl that was full of lolly eyes. I love it because there are some houses in our area that are really getting into Halloween. And then there are some that do that half-assed effort where they put the cobwebs on the fence. Spiderwebs. Yeah, the spiderwebs. And I feel like some people might be confused who don't really celebrate Halloween. They're like, why does this fence look so terrible? It's funny you say that because mum and dad's next door neighbours have fake cobwebs and spiders on their fence ready for Halloween. And dad was saying how mum and him don't need to do any of that because they've got legitimate cobwebs all over their fence. I'd love to hear everyone's Halloween costume suggestions. I'm going to put a thread in our Facebook community and people can pop in their suggestions there. And I'd also love to see who people have dressed up as before for Halloween. So please go and share your pics as well. 
just like that gang, it has begun. Here are some of the decorations. <laughs> so, so cute. We've literally got like a bubbling cauldron. This is gonna be so sick. I cannot wait till these are all in their place. Just before we get into the topic, we just wanted to issue a trigger warning because we do talk about issues surrounding abortion. After months of speculation, Sarah's day revealed the heartbreaking news that her unborn son has some unforeseen health issues. The YouTuber and her husband, Kurt Tills, opened up about the news in a 17-minute YouTube video on Thursday. Sophie, can you tell us about the video? As you said, Amy, this video was incredibly heartbreaking and difficult to watch, and I really feel for Sarah and Kurt. Sarah explained in the video that at the 10-week mark, she got an NIPT scan and blood examination. So for those who don't know, NIPT stands for non-invasive prenatal testing, and it screens for the most common chromosomal abnormalities that can affect a baby's future health. So following on from that test, Sarah received the news that sadly her baby had what she described as some unforeseen health issues that you would wouldn't expect a baby to have. She added that it had nothing to do with her and Kurt and that it was a case of the luck of the draw. So she explained that her and Kurt didn't want to disclose what the health issue is as they don't want it to define their son. She also disclosed that she had to wait for two and a half weeks to have further testing to find out more about the health concern. So following on from that test, she said she was told by the doctor to terminate the pregnancy for her own well-being and also for the well-being of the child. Sarah spoke, though, about how she processed the doctor's words and came to the decision to keep her baby. She explained that it was the most pressure she's ever had on herself and Kurt and that Kurt was supportive either way. And you could tell that it really weighed heavy on her mind what people would think of her, which I can totally understand with the platform and also criticism that's leveled at her on a regular basis. She said she wondered if it was mean of her to keep the baby and I just found it really difficult to mm. listen to and process. So Sarah finished the video by saying that she was now at peace with her decision and she's been working with a team of doctors who specialize in the baby's health condition. She also said that praying, reading the Bible and listening to worship music has really been helping her on this journey. What I found really interesting was Sarah talking through her decision to share the news. It was clearly something really hard for her to do and a lot of people have been questioning her need to share it at all. Sarah said she had gone back and forth in her head about making the video and considered the pros about opening up for people in similar situations to her. She said her doctors even suggested that she could be the spokesperson for the health condition, but she said her number one drive at the moment is to protect her baby and for them, one way of doing it was not disclosing what the health issue is let's throw to what sarah and kurt said our way of protecting him at the moment is not disclosing what this health issue is because we don't even, want it to define him yeah like we even want him to just live the most like amazing life possible without like any limitations being placed upon him so yeah and we were kind of thinking like if this was us if i was if i was our son i and, and i was completely asymptomatic and I didn't actually present any of these issues, I would kind of say to my mom, like, mom, why did you tell the whole world? <laughs> so I guess people are like, well, why are you saying this then? Like, why are you telling us anything? Number one, it's to open up that maybe during this pregnancy, I might not, I may go through waves of like not being super bubbly or I may be extra anxious. Number two, that if our baby ever does go through differences or like doesn't reach milestones, just be sensitive and compassionate to him because people are intense on the internet. They are, they're already intense to Foxy and you know, 
He's got tough skin. <laughs> I don't know. In the moment, honestly, this is what feels right for us. Mm. And I think this is the right thing to do. And I've talked to, obviously, my parents and my sisters and my friends. And I'm like, how much do I disclose? How little do I disclose? And I've gone through days of saying, I'm not going to say anything. And but not to mention, this is what we know. Like this is this is this is what our family dynamic is. It's it's YouTubing. It's it's talking to you at home. So yeah, the need for Sarah and Kurt to come out and share this announcement really got us thinking about family vlogging and the impact it is having on the children involved as well as the parents. And while the name is pretty straightforward, essentially family vlogging is content creation centered around the day to day life of families. And it can be a very lucrative business with people making a serious living from family YouTube channels. Now, content on family vlogging channels can really be about anything the family likes, from family vacations to cleaning kitchen cupboards to documenting a child's milestones. And to me, I've noticed that family vlogging usually has a big aspirational element to the content creation. And I feel like this is a part of how content creators build an audience by presenting the kind of lifestyle that people really want to have and be living. So this means that parents on family YouTube channels normally present themselves as inspirational parents. So some normal traits that you see on parents on family YouTube channels includes being fit and healthy, being attractive, fun and caring, and of course, being humble and relatable. Also, one big part of having the perfect YouTube family is having kids that are cute, fun, and happy to be on camera. So at the end of the day, I really feel like family vlogging is the ultimate family business for those who want to get paid for raising their child. What I find really interesting about the family YouTube channels is that most of the time the channel was created before the YouTuber had a family. So in the case of Sarah's day, I don't know whether you'd consider her channel a family vlogging channel at this stage, but she started off as a fitness influencer and so many of the other family channels started off as like beauty accounts and then the YouTuber got a family and it's turned into a family channel. Well, it's really the evolution for people as they get older. I feel like vlogging was thought to be a 20-somethings game, but now as influencers are aging, it is becoming, we are interested to see how their family and lives are developing and we want to come along for that journey, but while I feel like it is a good way for people to earn a lot of money for spending time with your children, I think Mm. it's also highly problematic. With family vlogging being a relatively new phenomenon, it's difficult to know what the long-term impact is going to have on children that are involved. It's so true because Kate and I were talking about this the other day and we were saying it's really odd because if you think back 20 years ago, A-list celebrities were all that people spoke about and now it seems like influencers have taken over a little bit from the traditional celebrity. Well, because they don't, because normal celebrities don't open up. We have this thirst to know more about their lives. That's why we buy magazines to hear all the dirty details yeah. going on. But these people happily give us those no, details. Exactly. And if you think about it, think of some of the biggest celebrities that were talked about. They never shared details about their children. Think back to Michael Jackson. He used to give masks to cover his children's faces. And most traditional celebrities don't have a desire to share about their children. But that's because they have a skill. So, you know, there's actresses and singers and we follow them and like them because of this skill they have. But now we've got this new age of celebrity and their YouTubers and their talent is sharing or oversharing information about their life. Their life is their commodity. Exactly. Yeah, but it's 
it's kind of similar to what we saw with the Kardashians because they were the, you know, they're celebrities, but they've also got a reality TV show. So they've got a toe in both camps of being an A-lister, but then also monetizing their milestones in their life. And you saw how Courtney decided to, you know, she shared everything. She mm. shared herself pulling her first son Mason out when she was giving birth to him. But then you saw how Kim wanted to keep, well, I think it was really coming from Kanye, wanted to keep her family, her kids private and they didn't show their faces for a long time. I do think it's it's interesting because, as you said, family vlogging can turn very problematic. And I think that turn happens when the parents turn their family lifestyle into a brand and into content. And instead of actually documenting the things that they normally do, they start to sort of play up to the camera. And and when that happens, children's looks and the way they behave become a part of business. And it's no longer family life, but you start to think about the audience that you're presenting your family life to. Well, also followers start comparing their own child to the children that they're seeing Mm. on YouTube. So for instance, going back to Sarah's day, there has been a lot of unfair criticism over Fox and what stages he's up to. It's even happened with Sky Wheatley's son, Forrest. And mothers at home are comparing, oh, does my child meet up to theirs? Is their child lacking behind? And I think that comparison can become really dangerous and unhelpful. Do you think somebody like Sarah's day, though, could have kept her child offline because they share so much information about themselves? Could they do what Kim and Kanye did and try and keep their children out of the spotlight? Or do you think that that would just ruin their YouTube career? Well, I obviously think that it would be really hard for someone like Sarah's day who before she had Fox was sharing vlogs every three days. And of course the content, yes, it had a fitness element to it, but it was very much a lifestyle channel where she shared her life. And I think as you progress your YouTube channel, there is a bigger desire for audiences to find out more about your personal life. And of course, a big part of that is sharing about pregnancy. And you, as we've said, family vlogging channels are massive. They get millions of followers. And I think a part of it is because there are people like us who don't have children that are watching thinking, oh, okay, let me get an insight into what it's like. And then there are also families that want to be like, is, is what I'm doing normal? Like, How do other people do it? It's a real fly on the wall moment. And I can see why people get sucked into watching it. But back to your question about whether she could have kept him offline, I don't think she could have kept her channel authentic without sharing about her children. Yeah, but that being said, I think that you can share about your child, but you can also not go into the detail that some of these influencers and vloggers choose to go into. For instance, I think there's some things that are just out of bounds. For instance, for me, if I have a child one day and I choose to share about them on my own personal Instagram account for my friends to see, I'm not going to be sharing the tantrums they have because I don't think that that child, it's fair to that child to do. Yeah. And a lot of the videos center around potty training kids and all of those kind or, or of kids milestones. In the bath. Like for me, that's a big no-go. Well, it's really milestones and, and how the parents are teaching their children how to do certain things. I think the difficulty is that children become the heart of the family vlogging channel and they essentially then become a source of income for the family. And ultimately, this places a massive burden on children. And I think with so much of a child's life being shared for likes and being monetized, it's surely going to have a big effect on a child's sense of self because While parents may stop their children from reading the comment section, and I really hope they do, 
Kids are very aware of when they're being filmed and they are known to behave more self-consciously when they are on camera. So if there is a camera around all the time and children are constantly being filmed, they do start to consider how people are perceiving them. And this increased self-consciousness can actually lead to issues with body image, an unhealthy need for validation and for children to suffer from anxiety. And I think this is such a really hard pill to swallow because at the end of the day, These kids don't consent to being on the YouTube channel. Some of them are filmed being born. I mean, can you believe that these two, I mean, we're talking previously about Sarah's day, whose child is still unborn and it's a topic for discussion. It's it's crazy. As you touched on, Kate, I think that consent is one of the biggest issues surrounding family vlogging channels. And while parents may say that their child loves being on the channel and loves being on camera, there is this real sense of imbalance of power that exists between the adult and the child. And it's clear that children often respect those in a position of authority, particularly parents. So they will just listen to what their parents says and do what they say and be in the channel. And they have no idea at the age of one that there's going to be this permanent record of all their embarrassing moments on the internet. Like, can you imagine how mortifying it would be having all of your potty training moments or tantrums (laughs) on the internet forever? I just personally think it's really unfair to share each child's steps of development to complete strangers on the internet to be discussed and compared. Because as you said, Sophie, there are so many cases where people are discussing the development of YouTubers' children. And and while, yeah, it seems a bit gross to be doing that, it's human nature to compare. And if it's being put out on YouTube, you're going to watch it and start talking about it. But there's also the bigger issue of predators online, which I think is too big of an mm. issue for us to go into on here. But it is a clear problem with these sort of channels, particularly when people are sharing their children potty training and in the bath. Yeah. And the thing is, I feel like children have the right to the freedom of making mistakes without being judged or without it being commented on. And, and to have it out there in the world forever, it just doesn't sit well with me. Mm. Well, psychologists have recently discovered that family vlogging can actually affect the parents' decision-making when it comes to their family, which I found super interesting. So it often starts off with small decisions. So perhaps a parent will decide to take their child to the beach because they know how good it will look in a vlog. So even if it is somewhat of a subconscious decision, often the parent is trying to cultivate a particular image for their audience. So they do consider their fan base when making some of these decisions. So while it might start out small like this, that type of thinking can actually become a pattern that quite easily comes into bigger decisions as well. So without the parent even realizing it, they can be basing big decisions in life they make off what what they think that their fan Mm. base is going to think. So if you think about it, it would take an incredible amount of self-control and self-awareness for them not to be swayed somewhat by their audience. So even if they think they are making their decision completely independently, how can they be sure of it? Yeah, especially when decisions can be difficult enough when you're considering what your family and friends think. But imagine how tough it would be if you had all these millions of followers critiquing every move you made with your family, particularly on very big issues. Well, one instance where a family's decision-making process was put under the microscope was the Stafer family. Kate, can you tell us about it? 
Yeah, so the Stafer family have really built their own social media empire. The mother, Mika Stafer, started out having her own lifestyle YouTube channel, which has almost 700,000 subscribers, and she has around 200,000 Instagram followers. Now, her husband, James, also has his own YouTube channel about cars, and together they created a family vlogging channel called That Stafer Life, which at one point had 333,000 subscribers. So the family decided to adopt a boy with special needs from China called Huxley. However, rather than waiting to finalize the adoption process before sharing it on their channel, they decided to document the process in real time. Therefore, it was really clear that the Stafers were made very aware of Huxley's special needs before the adoption was complete. Mika even made a video where she said she and her husband already considered Huxley their son and nothing would stop them from wanting to take care of him. So Huxley joined the Stafer family when he was two and Mika and James had three biological children and went on to have a fourth. Now, once the adoption had been finalized, the family uploaded several updates from Huxley, including documenting his developmental process as he settled in. However, three years into the adoption, Mika and James announced that they had decided to rehome Huxley. So when they announced their decision to rehome Huxley, they said that several experts had told them that he needed more, but they didn't clarify exactly what had been advised. And it's really important to point out that the Stafer family are incredibly wealthy. And I feel like this point is important because it's really difficult to accept the reasoning that they couldn't afford the necessary care or training needed for Huxley. And many fans have been left asking, why weren't the Stafer family willing to provide the care Huxley needed? And would they have given their own biological child away if they had severe needs? Now, these are very harsh questions that people are asking on the internet. However, I feel like, If you are going to put that type of information out onto the internet, you are going to get scrutinized. And the fact that they decided to share about the adoption before it had even been finalized, there's a lot of question marks over it. It is really difficult because it does seem quite disgusting that people are discussing these families' very personal decisions. But as you said, because they share so much of their life, of course people are going to talk about it. Of course people are going to have an opinion on how these this family have acted. It's a really, really difficult situation. And before, Sophie, you were talking about how decision-making is impacted if you have a family YouTube channel. And it does make you think about, well, the fact that the family decided to document that they were adopting a child and that they took on a child with special needs. There's obviously some very aspirational elements to doing something so fantastic like that. So you do wonder, did having a vlogging channel impact on some of this decision-making around firstly adopting the child and then secondly, deciding to rehome Huxley? Because many people were questioning, well, did they rehome him because he wasn't fitting in with the aesthetic of the channel? Perhaps they didn't have time to create content because they were having to look after him. There's another controversial UK family called the Sacconi Jolies, and they have over 1.75 million subscribers. And up until recently, they shared content on YouTube every single day. And the account was very much pushed by the father, Jonathan. So he and his wife, Anna, have been accused of exploiting their four children online due to the fact that they overshare details about their lives, like many family channels. And this year, Jonathan controversially posted a YouTube video entitled Coming Out. In the video, he revealed when he was younger, he had a number of imaginary friends, one of which was a little girl who he felt was the true him growing up. So he didn't elaborate whether he still had these feelings or whether he considered himself transgender. 
But he said his young child, Eduardo, had helped him feel brave enough to share this side of his life. So Jonathan and his wife have publicly spoken about how their son, Eduardo, has a more feminine side and enjoys wearing dresses. And this has been very much publicized on the family's YouTube account, as well as the family's Instagram. So they show photos of Eduardo in a dress and even a school uniform, which clearly identifies what school he goes to. So at the end of this video where Jonathan explained that he had feelings of being trapped in a different body, he promoted a book he had written talking about his childhood experience. And a lot of people online took offense to this and accused him of profiteering off a quote, trendy topic. And he was also accused of queer baiting due to naming the video coming out only to then promote his own book. And many people have questioned whether he should be sharing such personal details about his young son's life choices. Can I just say, while I don't necessarily think that perhaps his father has gone about it in the right way, I do think it is refreshing and helpful for us to see not your stereotypical family out there because there are so many children that experience different things in Mm. life and there are families out there who would find it quite comforting to be able to relate to someone going through an experience like this. I do agree in one way, but I also think there's a lot of pressure on this little boy because it could just be a phase that he's going through. A lot of kids love to dress up and wear different outfits. And I just feel like there's a lot of pressure now placed on him to identify as a particular way when really this kid should just be thinking about himself and and yeah, and, and he might not want to be the poster child for this particular issue or want this information out yeah. about him for people to talk about. I think it's interesting because we've spoken a lot about how children are impacted by family vlogging, but there are also implications for parents. So there was one YouTuber called Daddy05, and his real name is Mick, and his wife is Heather, and they have five children together. And they started off this prank YouTube channel, and in the end, it really became a channel where the parents were emotionally and physically abusing their children in the guise of humor. It was really disgusting. There was one prank where the father poured this ink on the ground in the son's bedroom and it was actually ink that would evaporate and so it wouldn't actually stain. And the father set up the camera and just yelled and swore at his son and berated him for getting this ink stain on the carpet. And the kid broke down and was absolutely hysterical over it. And then there was this other instance where the kids were asked to flip water bottles. You know how you get the bottle to land. And if the bottle didn't land on its base, someone would hit the child. So the daughter ended up being slapped really hard across the face by her stepbrother. What, they actually aired this? Yes, they put this on the channel. And fortunately, other YouTubers got involved and contacted the police over this. And the YouTube channel ended up being deleted and the parents lost custody of their two young children. Well, that is obviously a very extreme situation. In general, what do you guys think should happen to these YouTube family channels? Well, I really believe that parents with family vlogging channels should be consulting with experts in psychology. And I also think that there needs to be more online laws surrounding what is acceptable to show online. Yeah, because we've seen a lot of legislation come into effect around child actors and how many hours that they can work. But it seems like there's really, it's the Wild West out there for kids on YouTube. Parents can get their kids working for hours and hours being filmed. They can really exploit them. And there doesn't seem to be any punishment. In fact, people seem to be cashing in on putting their children on YouTube. And it's 
quite gross. Do you guys think that we need to stop watching these channels that exploit children? Because I feel like we're just almost enabling it in a way. It's hard because I feel like some channels aren't necessarily exploiting their children. Some channels can be really good to show other people, you know, this certain side of motherhood and fatherhood. Yeah, but the thing is... We don't know the the thing is it might seem all happy days and really nice because there are YouTube channels that I watch that show family life and I do enjoy watching them but I there is a part of me that thinks wow this is so new that we don't really know the full impact it's going to have on the children that are on these channels that haven't agreed to be on the channels because there's a big difference between oh look this is my cute toddler to when the child becomes 13 and they might not want all their family life being aired and they might not want their friends seeing all their private details like there's there's a line and what happens when your kid's not cute enough to be making you money anymore does mm-hmm. that change the dynamic in the family i don't know i've always aspired to want to grow a mullet and um sort of started in school when our hair had to be off our ears and off the colour and stuff. Um, and yeah, since then, since I finished, I just, it hasn't stopped growing. I just trim it every now and then, but yeah, it's about it. Western Bulldog star Bailey Smith has opened up about his struggles with mental health and his sudden rise to fame on podcast Common Chaos. While speaking on Cartier Milan's new podcast, the pair also shot down rumours they're dating. Amy, can you tell us just what a hot commodity Bailey Smith is at the moment? Well, Bailey Smith is currently the pinup of the Gen Z generation, and he has all the makings of a social media star. He's, of course, got his blonde mullet, his six-pack abs, and he also knows how to take a really good photo for Instagram. And despite not having as big a profile in the game, he is the most followed footballer in the AFL with 344,000 Instagram followers. So he's recently surpassed Buddy Franklin and Dustin Martin. And it's crazy to think he started the year with 130,000 followers. He's arguably footy's hottest commodity right now. He's a brand ambassador for Cotton On, Monster Energy Drink and Telstra. I feel like he is really falling into the influencer space, which is why I really wanted to talk about him today. And I thought we should start with some of the lighthearted stuff that got discussed in the podcast before we delve into some of the heavier issues. Mm. So Katia started the podcast by revealing that she met Bailey on Saturday night and they were recording the podcast on the Tuesday. Wow. So in the four days of knowing him, they sounded pretty close because she started by calling him Boo Boo. So she said that she likes (laughs) to make up nicknames for all of his friends. So throughout the whole long podcast that I listened to, she called him Boo Boo. So she's wow, really? So she's like, hey, boo-boo, you know, what's going on it here? It was so annoying. It was just so cringe. And it was sort of, oh, I can't believe people think we're dating. Yeah, I'm calling you this very affectionate nickname. Yeah, do you guys call any of your friends boo-boo? Or? Well, definitely not male no. friends as well. And that's what I was going to touch on, Kate. So they started off the podcast by almost sounding offended that people assumed that they were some sort of item. When clearly that was the aim of all the Instagram posts. Exactly. So she said that, you know, she gets quite cozy with a lot of her male friends and she can't understand why people would jump to conclusions from Instagram posts with their arms around one another that people would think they're an item. So as I said, these two have spent four full days with each other they kept talking about these stories as if they'd known each other their whole lives so and and also talking about how well they had connected like okay you may not be dating currently but it seems like it's on the cards because there was this you know ridiculous amount of chemistry and connection that they kept going on about that they had they said that they really got each other so within the four days of knowing each other from the stories they told in the podcast 
Cartier has already been to the shops styling him with what sort of clothes that she likes. They'd been to what? the markets where they'd she discussed in details what she wants for her soulmate. Um, they'd had really huge DNMs about mental health. And she'd also discussed, oh, being in the car with him, driving around. Anyway, so... Meeting each other's friends. It's clear that these two, despite saying that there's nothing going on, that they're on the path to becoming something. Because I'm sorry, they, she also said how beautiful he was. Well, the what thing a gorgeous is, man he the was. The thing is, I mean, that's great. Like if they are beginning to date, good on them. They sound like they'd be quite good together. But I don't understand this whole you know, shock that people are going to think that they're an item. Well, he did reiterate again that they were his big sisters and that they were kind of his tour guides because he also said that he plans after football to relocate to Brisbane. And he had a discussion with Cartier that he would like to have his children grow up in Brisbane and go to primary school there and then move them back to Melbourne to do high school. So, I mean, they're all very strange conversations to be having with someone you've just met. Yeah, just a normal conversation you'd have with someone you'd met a couple of days ago where, where you want to send your future kids to school and where you want to live. It seems all very deep. Well, yeah. it's not, it's and not on the topic that strange it, if you're dating somebody to have these conversations, but they're, they're no, but protesting they're that they're not. Just yeah. The other thing I've got to say before we get into some of the heavier discussion is I almost had to turn this interview off because the word like was said oh, that yes. many times. Oh, really? And Bailey also said, I don't know about 10 times every time he would say like a paragraph. It was I like how you terrible. just dropped the word like just then yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's easy enough to say it becomes so part of our language and I am guilty of saying it, but it was almost to the point where I couldn't listen. I was getting that frustrated. And I also felt like they thought that everything they were saying was so profound. It's funny because when we used to do our Under the Influence episodes, we'd sometimes talk to influencers and I always had to edit them. And one episode, I won't I can't even remember which influencer it was, but they said the word like so many times. I tried to cut it out because it was so distracting. Well, I did notice in a couple of the newspaper articles that reported on stuff said during this podcast that they did cut out all the likes (laughs) and the you knows in the quotes. Mm. We're just turning to some of the heavier topics discussed in this podcast. Bailey did open up about the challenge of his rapid rise to fame and its effect on his mental health. So can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, well, Bailey admitted that he struggled with eating disorders, panic attacks, sleepless nights, and also anxiety. And he said that when he was a teenager, he didn't open up because he was scared of being judged. And he said that it was refreshing meeting the girls because they made him feel less alone. He said, there's so many people around you and wanting this and that from you. It's so easy to feel empty inside, as dark as that sounds. And I think it was so refreshing to hear a young man with so much influence being so open about his emotions and also the battles he's had with mental health and I feel like he's really showing other men that it's not weak to talk about your emotions and to get the help when you need it because he also opened up that he is seeking help at the moment and he is on medication for his mental health and I think it's so great the fact that he really is this number one poster boy for the AFL at the moment considering that these are the topics that he's speaking on it really shows this shift I think with Gen Z being more open to talk about mental health and accepting people that are different. I mean, he's very well known for wearing flamboyant clothes and his haircut. And I just think it is so interesting to see this shift Mm. in the AFL and the upcoming players. And I really hope this continues. And the fact that it is being so well received, he is so popular for doing so. He did also speak about feeling objectified online by men and women. And this came off the back of a nude photo drama, which happened on grand final day. I didn't actually realize it was on grand Neither. final day. 
Wow. And I just can't imagine how off-putting this would have been because he plays for the Western Bulldogs, who were, of course, in the grand final. How tough would it be with all of this going on behind the scenes and you're trying to concentrate and put your Mm. energy into the biggest game of your life, especially for a person who is only 20 years old? So this is what he said about the nude photo scandal. There was a fake nude that got shared around Australia. Oh, let's address this. Can we address that? I addressed it and put the actual photo on my thingo. So I was playing, this was like the day of the grand final. It's like biggest game of my life. And I get showed this photo by the boys and like everyone's like sort of whispering like at breakfast. Before you were playing? Yeah. And I'm like. think it was real? Uh, no, they they sort of knew it was Photoshop. They've probably know- seen, you know, they've seen it <laughs> no, all. No, they, they know how it hangs. And this one, right? No, no, actually though. They know how it hangs? They do. We, like we're in the sh- like sh- you don't understand footy clubs, and this one was very much to like it was weird. You have to see the photo. Just moving on from there, Bailey also talked about the craziest DM he received. Yeah, he said that he has stopped reading his DMs now, but he did receive a message from a man who offered to send him $50,000 to sleep with him. This reminds me of all the messages from creepy people that the female influencers get about wanting to have their foot photos and everything. So after this interview came out with Bailey Smith, news broke that he had been allegedly involved in a assault. So he has been accused of shoving someone outside a Gold Coast night spot on October 4. And this news, I think, was quite a shock for a lot of people because he has been so open about his mental health. And I feel like we've got a really good impression of this really nice guy and what he's about. And then these news, this news keeps coming out that kind of conflicts that character. I mean, of course, we saw him out at a nightclub after the Bulldogs lost the grand final and he and his mates were all screaming and talking about rooting girls. And it, it just seems like that there is this very stereotypical opinion of him that the media, the mainstream media are putting out, but he seems to be combating, combating that by doing these podcast interviews. Yeah, well, I mean, in his defence, I suppose we don't know what actually went on because as we're saying, he is a hot commodity at the moment. Obviously, the newspaper and online publications get clicks whenever he's mentioned in anything a huge footy brawl outside a nightclub is going to get attention online and the fact that the Bulldogs have released their own statement confirming that no further action would would be taken by the club following their own investigations suggests that maybe this situation or incident has been blown out of proportions I mean they said a shoving incident that could that you know I don't think maybe it was that severe Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what transpires in this story. Well, I think that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us for today's episode. If you have enjoyed it, could you please make sure you are subscribed to the podcast and leave us a rating if you haven't already. And if you do want to join in the conversation, head to our Facebook group, which is Outspoken, the podcast community. Make sure to put in your suggestions for our Halloween costume. It is desperate times at the moment. (laughs) 